This afternoon I preach to you the Word of God as we read it in Exodus 20, verses 4 to 6, the second commandment. Also as the church confesses that in Lord's Day 35 of the Heidelberg Catechism, which you can find on page 552 in the book of Praise. <clears throat> the uh, second commandment, as God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. And then the church confesses, what does God require in the second commandment? We are not to make an image of God in any way, nor to worship him in any other manner than he has commanded in his word. May we then not make any image at all. God cannot and may not be visibly portrayed in any way. Creatures may be portrayed, but God forbids us to make or have any images of them in order to worship them or to serve God through them. But may images not be tolerated in the churches as books for the laity? No, for we should not be wiser than God. He wants his people to be taught, not by means of dumb images, but by the living preaching of his word. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, how does it make you feel when Christians, when the church is misrepresented and defamed as unloving or fundamentalist bigots? We find that often anti-Christian media outlets use their public access to the this great audience, this big crowd of people listening and looking at them, and they use that opportunity to create a false image of Christians that does not match anything they actually say or believe and ends up even hindering the valuable contribution that the church gives to the world and even more importantly to hinder the, the, the gospel that we proclaim a gospel of grace and love. And we can see a similar thing happen when people paint a false picture of the church or even of another person to criticize the person. They use this image in order to, to criticize the church and to justify their departure from the church or maybe even their, their reason that they don't uh, get along with the other person anymore. They, they create an image and then reject that image. And if the facts don't seem to justify the image that was created, people today can even use their emotions instead. And so they, they make an image that, of their emotions and they, they reject the, the, the truth, maybe because it, it, uh, it doesn't feel right. Or they accept what is true, or they accept a lie because it makes me feel happy. 
In our days, we find there are arrogant people who tell you what you believe, judge it and reject it all in one breath without even hearing you say a single word. The Lord does not want us to do that with him. So what do these examples of the ninth commandment have to do with the second commandment? Basically this, since it is impossible to make an image of the invisible God, any attempt to do so in violation of the second commandment is also a lie, sin against the ninth commandment, that ends up bringing you to worship something that is not the one true God. You can see that Paul uses the word lie, believing the lie in Romans 1, verses 22 to 23, when he tells us to worship God according to his word. The second commandment tells us that the only way to walk with the one true God is by refusing to tell God what we think he should look like, an image that comes from below, and then listening to God's own revelation of himself. His word comes from above. He shows his steadfast love to thousands of those who love him and keep his commandments, his word. And I preach you the gospel of the second commandment under this theme, the Lord reveals that he can be known through his word. We'll see that again the three ways of looking at the commandments. First, what the Lord wants for us, how Jesus did that for us and in our place and how the Holy Spirit now helps us to do that. So the Lord wants his children to live by his word, to be guided by his word. We see that Jesus Christ lived by God's word for us and in our place. And in the third place, the Holy Spirit helps us want to live by God's word too. When God created the world, he spoke his word, it came to be, and all the creatures in it, he, he created by speaking. And then afterwards, he revealed himself to his children by speaking to them. He had to speak because he is incomprehensible and his greatness is unfathomable. And it's impossible for the finite to arrive at the infinite in his or her own strength. Think about it. No person could arrive at the Trinity through an analogy, through a comparison. Because there is nothing in the heavens or in the earth or in the sea below that compares to the truth of God as one, yet distinguished in three persons, each of which is fully God. No human being could arrive at the conclusion that salvation is 100% grace and 100% human responsibility. They couldn't arrive at that through human logic alone, thinking from below and moving up. What image in the heavens, above, on the earth, beneath, or under the earth could you use to arrive at the truth of the incarnation of the Son of God, that God himself took on human flesh so that he is fully God and fully man at the same time? How, how could anyone 
be blessed by this amazing grace if they could only form a picture of God from images that they have tried to create or by analogy, by comparison with anything in creation. The second commandment tells us that if we serve or bow down to an image, we are not serving God who revealed himself in his word. He wants you to know him through his words, not through your words. And so Deuteronomy 4 verse 15 emphasizes that, says, therefore watch yourselves very carefully that the Lord knows what our natures are like to try to have something to touch when we think about God. And then it continues, since you saw no form on the day the Lord spoke to you. There was no form, there were only words. God wants his creatures to base all their worship on his revelation as it is seen in creation and confirmed and explained in his word. So when we think of what God wants for us in the second commandment, we should think of words like listen, hear, understand, study, repeat, reflect, meditate, react. Words that highlight that God wants us to be guided by His Spirit through His Word. Rather than to try fit God into our own categories of understanding, He wants us to live our lives in quiet reflection and meditation on the Word that He has spoken. He wants us to hear his voice, to listen to him, to, to react to what he has said with thanksgiving. Through the second commandment, our heavenly Father reveals that he blesses us through the words written by inspired authors on paper and then etched in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Thankfully, this is a, a great blessing for us, it's not hard to want to obey the second commandment when we, we look at the book that God gave us, the Bible. A Bible that is so simple that children can read and understand it and so profound at the same time that theologians have studied and discussed it for centuries. What better way to learn about the triune God than by reading written descriptions of his work, studying the, the figures of speech, the anthropomorphisms, that's how the, the, the human characteristics are given to an invisible God, like you're talking about his hand or, or the Lord reacting to something, the metaphors, the similes, which are comparisons, those things which make our incomprehensible God accessible even to young children. The language that God uses is a beautiful thing to study. In the second commandment, the Lord reveals that he wants parents to ensure that their children know how to read and study the language of the Bible. He wants us to take every written and revealed description of God 
like a piece of a puzzle that can be joined to the other pieces as we grow in our understanding of who God is, who his name, what his name is. And so we see he's not just Yahweh, I am who I am, he's also God, which refers to his, his strength and his power. We read through the Bible with our children and, and, and together on our, on our own in our Bible studies, and we see that, that sometimes he's called a, a rock, compared to a rock, and other times to a warrior going out to battle. He is a father. He is like a mother hen. The Lord doesn't just punish rebellious people, but he also carries our children like a shepherd carries little lambs close to his chest. He is every description put together and more than that so that we never reach the limits of his unfathomable and incomprehensible greatness. God wants us to contemplate his beauty through the names that he has revealed, through the explanation of the work that he has done and that has now, is now recorded for us in his word and in the things that he has spoken and are now written down so that we may live each day in humility with the comfort of knowing that we have an amazing God. And that's how it works, doesn't it? When we open his word and we read it and we meditate on it, we hear it, our conclusion is what an amazing God we worship. He has shown himself to us in his word. And the Lord, the second commandment tells us that God wants us to trust in the truth of every word that he has spoken so that guided by his word we can experience his awesome glory in every part of our lives. Rather than serving images, things that are stuck in time and invisible portray portrayals of him that deceive us and even lead us to put our trust in creatures and human imagination, God wants us to know the divine truth that comes from heaven and worship the creator who is blessed forever, says Paul in Romans 1, verse 25. So what does this look like? Well, the Lord Jesus shows us what obedience to the second commandment looks like. He lived in God's word. And he did that for us and in our place. It is, as always, as we look at the Ten Commandments, we know what God wants. It's very clear. But we often find that our own sinful natures are inclined to imitate the generations of the covenant people before us who tried to worship a, a golden calf, who tried to worship God through this golden calf, who embraced pathetic images that invariably undermined the God of the covenant. And so what happens when we are sorry for our sin of not reading our Bibles with eagerness to learn more about God, and then as a result believing in a false image of God that is based on our own imaginations, we are, we are relieved to know the gospel. Jesus Christ obeyed the second commandment for us and in our place. When we look at Jesus' life, we can see what it looks like to live being guided by God's word. And when we see Jesus' obedience, 
we also see how God sees us who believe in Jesus Christ and who clothe ourselves with his righteousness, whom he clothes with Christ's righteousness. We see it when the Holy Spirit drove Jesus out to the desert to be tempted by the devil. You can read about that in Luke 4. At that time, Satan urged our Lord Jesus to worship God in a way that was not revealed to us in his word. He told the Lord Jesus to worship God with a sense of entitlement. Right? He said, if you are the Son of God, why don't you do this? He told Jesus to worship God with a feeling of selfishness. If you're hungry, turn these stones into bread. He told the Lord Jesus to, to test God's promises in an arrogant way. He said, throw yourself from the temple. He told Jesus to be unwilling to submit to God's plan. Worship without submitting to God's plan. He says, you can have all these kingdoms, just bow before me. That's what it was like. That's what we read about in the temptations. And then we see that Jesus obeyed the second commandment. He obeyed the second commandment by ignoring the image of God that Satan had created and then responding to every temptation by using the Word of God. And we're so happy to see he used the same word that we use today. Satan could not stand before the declaration of the truth of Scripture in the contest between the sword of the, of the Word of God and the club of Satan's worldview, the Word will win. And the Lord Jesus was also obedient to the second commandment in the way that he used the Word of God. Although Satan, and you'll notice this if you read that passage in Luke 4, Satan tried to take God's words out of their context. He, he even quoted scripture. He just took it out of context. And then he tried to form an image of God by just using one part of the revelation and ignoring the others. The Lord Jesus, in his reply, followed the basic rules of interpretation when he used the scriptures. He didn't treat the Bible like a novel to be studied, but he treated it as the revelation of the one true God to be accepted and to be believed. He put the quotations from Scripture in their context. He showed the whole picture. He distinguished between that which God actually promised and that which he didn't promise. And so when we realize with sorrow that we have misused the words of Scripture to create a false image of what God is like. Or when we recognize with sorrow that we have twisted his words to defend worship according to the standards of Satan with entitlement and selfishness and pride and unwillingness to submit to God in our worship, and even if we've done this with our Bibles open like Satan did, we can find comfort in the obedience of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lived by the Scriptures in their proper interpretation. He obeyed the second commandment for us 
and in our place. He is our righteousness. The Lord Jesus showed that he desired to live in obedience to the second commandment, also by the things that he taught throughout his ministry. He warned, and this is very uh, clear to see, it's in Matthew 15. He warned the Pharisees about a vain worship in which the church was teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Matthew 15, verse 8. He warned about teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. The Jews were binding the consciences of God's people with an extensive man-made tradition filled with rules and expectations and burdensome so-called tests of orthodoxy, between quotation marks, that could be used to distinguish the righteous from the sinners. And so when they used that, they made sure that they looked good to others. Rather than add more rules and regulations to God's commandments, we see that our Lord Jesus looked at this and he, and he simply took God's word and he used what God had already said at face value. And he applied it to all the debates. Uh, you can think, for example, of when he met the Sadducees in Matthew 22 and they, they don't believe in the resurrection. He says, well, if God is the father of of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's not the father of the dead, but the living. He takes the text, he used it in a very clear way to explain how we are to worship him. And then in that passage in John 4 that we read, he explained to the Samaritan woman that her people, the Samaritans, were missing out on salvation because they did not receive all the books of the Old Testament that the Holy Spirit had prepared for the people. He explained that God is spirit and wants to be worshipped in spirit and in truth. Our Lord Jesus lived in obedience to the second commandment when he confirmed what he taught and then worshipped according to his word. And so he worshipped with a sincere heart. He prayed with sincerity. And then you can see in Matthew 6, he said, not like the hypocrites do who just try to do an outward show. The Lord Jesus also focused on real needs in this life for the glory of God. And when he taught the Lord's Prayer, he says, don't just heap up empty phrases. Be real. Mean what you say. Ask for what you need. And so the Lord Jesus lived our lives, lived his life, guided by the word of God. He didn't hold up an image and say God is like this. He didn't hold up a, a, a stone or a wood and say God is like this. He preached. He preached the word. And he also used beautiful figures of speech. He used the language of the people so that when they heard God speaking to them through this preaching. We read they were amazed. And, and did they praise Jesus? No, they, they were amazed and they praised God who was revealing himself through this preaching. And the call of the gospel came to them demanding a response. Believe in God or not. Well, when we are sorry for our sin of breaking the commandments for the sake of our tradition, to quote Matthew 15, verse 2. 
And when we come to see how our standards for what a Christian looks like are far more rigorous than God's gracious instruction, or when we are saddened by our tendency to be more concerned about putting on a show of piety than about heartfelt, sincere worship and praise, when we recognize those sins against the second commandment, we can turn to the Lord Jesus, to the gospel, and we can see how he obeyed the second commandment. And we can repent from our sins and find our righteousness in him alone. He truly obeyed. And finally, the Lord Jesus revealed that the greatest act of worship and obedience to the second commandment is the act of bowing the knee before him. He was, he is the word that was made flesh. And so when the disciples bowed down before our Lord Jesus in worship, he did not rebuke them for bowing before an idol or an image. His two natures were joined so closely together that they were worshiping God as they were bowing down before Jesus Christ. And so when Peter confessed that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, the Lord Jesus told him that it was God himself who had revealed this truth to him. And we see in Jesus Christ the Word of God announcing our salvation merges with the Savior who is called the Word become flesh. And his Word goes out to the ends of the earth telling all people, to bow before him and receive his righteousness in our place, his obedience to the second commandment. And so when the Holy Spirit leads you to submit to God's word, he is, and we can say perhaps simultaneously or at the same time, he's placing you in Jesus Christ and in his obedience so that you can identify with him in the new life. For the Holy Spirit helps us want to live by God's word also. When the Holy Spirit dwells in our hearts, he helps us and leads us in the second commandment by helping us to distinguish between worship that is according to the word of God and the worship of images that are made by man. We need the Spirit's guidance in this. If you look at the book of Revelation, you will see a major contrast between the people with the Holy Spirit as those who worship the God who made all things and those without the Spirit who worship the beast or its image. And so we distinguish because God works in our hearts by his word. And we interpret this word with a desire to be faithful so that it is also the only guide for our worship today. By the grace of God, those forgiven by Jesus Christ have the Holy Spirit. We are eager to live by God's word too. And that's clearly expressed in our worship services in which we seek to be centered on the word of God. The covenant structure where God speaks and, and God's people 
respond. It's, it's based on the covenant meetings between God and his people since the Old Testament. It's not just randomly chosen out of thin air. It comes from God's word as a structure of a meeting between God and his people. And then God's word is spoken to us in the blessings. It's the reading of God's word. The law is God's word being read. The scripture reading and the sermons, God's word read and proclaimed. And the response also is seen with amens that we say when we sing the words of scripture in the psalms and in the hymns, when we give our financial offerings with our statements of faith that summarize what God's word reveals about himself. We see the Spirit leading us in obedience to the second commandment in worship that is centered on God's Word. The Holy Spirit teaches us in Romans 10, telling us to trust in the power of the proclamation of the gospel to work and to strengthen faith. If you have, any, uh, if you have your ear to the ground in, in the broader Christian circles, you can see that there's a, a new wave, a new emphasis. It's called ordinary means ministry. After trying so many different ways to attract people to come to church, to keep people coming, uh, coming to church once they're in, trying all different means, the many of the leaders in the broader Christian world have noticed we need to go back to the preaching of God's Word. Ordinary means, the means that God has ordained. And again, attention is being drawn to using the words that God has spoken to call people to repentance and to see the glory of Jesus Christ. Paul told us already in 2 Timothy 4 verse 2, preach the word in season and out of season. And so preaching we see as a very valuable blessing for the church because in the preaching we are obeying the command of God to preach the word but also through the preaching, the Spirit himself is, is actively at work in our midst. And, and he is applying the word not only on our eyes, but also on our minds and in our hearts. And he does so individually to each of us. We hear the word being preached in a different way, and we apply it, the Spirit applies it to our life at a specific time. In the situation you're facing, an image is dead and cannot do that. So as a result, we confess it's not even permitted in God's church to have images in order to worship them, to serve God through them, or even to teach new believers with them. It's the reference to the books uh, for the, the laity, question 98. And the answer is, we should not be wiser than God. He wants his people to be taught not by means of dumb images, but by the living preaching of his word. It's very clear in scripture, but then we have some questions in this life as the spirit guides us. And, and, and one big question that's often raised in connection with the second commandment is whether or not we can use children's story Bibles that have pictures in them. Well, if you look at our confession, you could see that clearly any book that tries to visibly portray God in heaven will not be desired by those who have the Holy Spirit. The second commandment 
written on their hearts. But that raises the next question, well, what about those that have drawings of, of what they imagine the Lord Jesus looked like when he walked on the earth? When Jesus Christ took on human nature, he had a body that was 100% human. Even his soul was, was human. And so we know that his parents and his siblings and his acquaintances could have drawn pictures of him, maybe even had a picture of him hanging on the wall. However, if they did, none of those pictures survived. And like most people in God's plan of salvation, there is very little description of Jesus' body type or his facial features in any part of Scripture. And it is no longer possible to truthfully, visibly portray not only Jesus, but any of these people anymore. Paul or, or, or Matthew, what do they look like? Can you say this is what he looked like about any of them? Well, we don't know what Jesus looked like when he was born, when he taught, when he did his miracles, when he was hanging on the cross. And so we have also no reason to make images where God has decided to provide none. And it's good then to faithfully explain this to one another, and especially if you're a parent, to explain this to your children because invariably they will see pictures of, of figures in the Bible and, and often as well of the Lord Jesus, uh, someone's imagination of what the Lord Jesus may have looked like. So it's very important that we explain to our children that we don't know what these men, these women, these children look like. And the reason for that is because we do not want to build our theology or to base any conclusions based on made-up drawings. We might think that's not a big danger, but Deuteronomy 4 did say very clearly, be careful, be careful. And then the question is, well, do you want to know more about my Savior, Jesus Christ? Do you want to, to get to know him on a, on a personal way, in a personal way? You can. For God revealed himself, God revealed Jesus Christ in all of Scripture, from the beginning to the end, with words that we can read and understand, that our children can read and understand. Jesus' names are given to us. Jesus' titles are given to us. The very words he spoke, uh, he has spoken are given to us. His works are recorded for us. That is the Jesus, the Lord Jesus, revealed to us by our, our God. And when the Spirit guides us then by the second commandment, having written it in our hearts, he gives us the desire to obey God's word as Paul spoke it in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 6, where it says, Do not go beyond what is written. It's a nice rule for our lives as we think about the second commandment. Repeat the words that have been spoken for sure. In fact, we do that every time we say the Apostles' Creed or any creedal statement. We're saying things that we don't even understand. We're, we're repeating them. We're saying God is one and yet three persons and each one is being fully God. Repeat his word for sure. Confess your faith in the truth of his word for sure. Teach our children to read 
and to interpret scriptures. For sure, that's a, a major goal of, of any mission work. Anytime you share the gospel, schools and Christian education are an important part so that God's people can know and read his word. Make sure our Bible studies are well equipped with leaders and good literature. That are men considering to enter the ministry are encouraged to, to do that, to do the study of, of God's word and, and language. And but then also to remember the power of God's word in all of life. Maybe there are artists in our midst this afternoon. I know there are scientists as well. And if we include artists, is anyone involved in any type of building project? And a scientist and anyone who studies human nature interacts with that as well. We see that you as Christians who have the word of God as the interpretive key have a special gift in the areas of science and art. Our obedience to the second commandment will make us want to be actively involved in the arts and the sciences as leaders and teachers. For who can understand what we are seeing in nature, what we are seeing in the history of the world, in the minds of great men, in the culture we live in? Who can see that better than those who are guided by the Spirit, by the Word of God? A parent, a scientist, an artist, without the Word of God, actually only knows a part of the picture. But guided by his spirit, guided by his word, we can truly glorify God in, in all these areas. The second commandment doesn't say don't draw anything, don't think of anything, but it says live by God's word. Glorify him, guided by this revelation so that your worship also gives glory to the one who revealed himself. Brothers and sisters, let us live every hour of every day guided by God's revelation. Amen.